from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Lisa Bradley Godward on September 23, 2019. I had interviewed Lisa previously, six years ago, in which we talked about her novel, Abby Wise Away. She's since re-released the novel. She talks about the work she's done on the novel since its original release, and she reads an excerpt from Abby Wise Away. I started the interview by asking Lisa to briefly describe the story of Abby Wise Away. I'll give you the really short version first, and if you want the longer one, you can let me know. Abby Wise, spelled A-B-B-Y-W-I-Z-E, it's about a horse-loving teenage girl who's suddenly thrown into the far future when world peace has finally arrived. This is a new re-release of that first in a series, right? That's it. So... I published the first version of Abby Wise Away, which is the first in the series, nine years ago, over nine years ago. And I thought I was moving on to, to book B, you know, to, to, this, to the first sequel. But God had other plans. This whole thing is divinely ordained. It's really not my idea. And I'm not in the driver's seat. What I wound up doing was, you know, a number of other things. I did start working on book B, but I wound up making a short film, trying to explore the idea of making a video series out of this book. I went on a informal self-arranged book tour uh, where I found out what, you know, initial response to my description of the book was from the general public, folks who didn't know me at all or never heard of the Baha'i faith or anything. And so I I took a number of detours. Along the way, I began to develop my concept more. I developed the characters more. I developed my writing more in writing other kinds of things, such as an activity and discussion guide for book clubs and youth groups and junior youth groups who wanted to dig into this in a fun and and deep way. So I wound up circling back around and rewriting the book over the last about two years, and I've just re-released it. It's sold uh, almost every place books are sold, and eventually it will be in a number of public libraries wherever there's an extensive, well-developed borrowing system for library books as well. It's Almost the same title, Abby Wise hyphen away. It's spelled slightly different. I have a new last name. It's on Amazon and most other places books are sold, uh, including in ebook format. Now, why did you choose to change the spelling of away so it's phonetic? So the last A has got just the A and the long dash at the top to indicate it's a long A. That was the first edition. 
was spelled that way, A-W long A, and now it's spelled A-W-A-Y. And there's several reasons for that. Uh, the technophobes might be interested and everybody else can let their attention wander freely now. The super title in the first edition was Loved Awake, Growing Aware, Spirited Away. Not in that order, but those words were in there. I toyed between all of those as a subtitle for the first edition, and I realized that what they had in common was this sound away, more or less away. And so I decided, let's just call the book that and then include all three of those in the form of a subtitle for the book and make it a little bit of a code kind of thing, which I thought was cool. And I thought I might continue with the titles being some kind of unusual code type thing if I could swing it for the rest of the books in the series. But as it turned out, circling back around to the rewrite, a number of publishing outlets don't allow for the long A character, which created a problem in list in book listings. And so then it looked like awa. Mm. And nobody knew what that was. The second half of the answer to that question is that I wanted this second book to be a completely new book. There are certain criteria that make a book a book and especially make a book separate from similar books. So one of the things I toyed with was just changing the title in that way. And once I found out about the things I needed to do to make it a completely different edition, I decided, yeah, I would just take care of that issue with how it appears in the listings when the long A doesn't appear by just changing it and saying A-W-A-Y. I changed the colon to a hyphen, similar reasons. So all of those things make it very clearly a new edition as well as the interior is extensively revised. You can't just correct a few typos or throw in a few words and call it a a new book if everything else is the same. So I kind of was really after changing as much as I could. So I'm speaking with Lisa Bradley Godward, author of the Abby Wise series of novels for young adults. She just re-released her first in the series, Abby Wise Away. And we're talking about that first in the series. In the story, you refer to a f- ideal future world as an entopia. What's that and where did you get that word? I invented that word. It's actually enotopia for the second edition. And I realized that I really wanted to bang the drum about this. It came about because as I was talking with people in the nine years between the two releases, a lot of people were very cynical about portraying an ideal world or a world at peace. And I got kind of a lot of rolling eyeballs and snorting expressions. And there's this cynicism, and a lot of people bashed utopias and said, well, that's just pie in the sky. They're dumb. They don't work. And I realized that they were right. And I had to ask myself what I was doing differently. 
And the first thing that I'm doing is I'm addressing the root causes of injustice, disunity, hatred, prejudice. In, in other words, one of the reasons that utopias don't work is they kind of give the main character of whatever story we're talking about carte blanche to do whatever they want. And that makes utopia for them, but very quickly it turns into dystopia for those that they are disregarding. And so any realistic view of a world truly at peace would need to address this and look at justice for all, unity at all levels, inclusiveness, elimination of prejudice, you know, all these kinds of things. So I realized I needed a new word. And back in March, when I was really wrapping up the rewriting, I looked at the root word of topia, which turns out to be Greek and means place. And then I just, uh, on a whim, looked up unity in the Greek language, and it's enotita, not that I speak Greek, but thank God for Google Translate, so it pronounces it for me. Uh, it comes from one, you know, the numeral one in Greek is enas, E-N-A-S with an accent over the E, and oneness is enotita. So combining, you know, these concepts, kicking them around, I, I coined the word enotopia, meaning a place of unity, and then, of course, in the Baha'i writings, we know from Baha'u'llah that peace, which is, of course, an aspect of unity, that unity comes first, then peace can be achieved. Okay, they, they go hand in hand, but unity comes first. And so we, in fact, have to look at the causes of disunity, injustice, you know, prejudice, hatred, etc., before we can move to the next step of looking at world peace. So that was some of the thinking that went into the choosing of that name. And I, I want to spread that far and wide and have that adopted and have that become a new thing, like past utopias and past dystopias would, that seems to me the next concept, the next stage in conceiving of this would be enotopias. So I'm speaking with Lisa Bradley Godward, author of the Abby Wise series of novels for young adults. She just re-released her first in the series, Abby Wise Away, and we were talking about the story and the fact that Abby Wise finds herself in the future where world peace had already been achieved, and we're talking about the word that Lisa invented called enotopia to express this concept of oneness being the basis of world unity. So when you gave the synopsis, it was pretty brief, but uh, what are the underlying spiritual themes that you're trying to get across with Abby Wise being in the future in that environment? And we can talk about this in, in great depth because this is, this is where I'm really revved up these days. We can talk about it on several different levels. One idea is that I'm after depiction of a young woman in transformation, the beginning of her personal 
and spiritual transformation. I've emphasized that a lot more in the revised edition. It's really exciting to me to see how I was able to be the hollow reed, the the conduit for a lot of spiritual concepts without being cold rationalizing or, you know, in a lecture format. It's in a story format. I think it came together really well and the feedback has been excellent. I am excited about the portrayal of her personal transformation and, and, and latching on to a true spiritual journey in this first book. The other thing uh, I'm excited about is portraying the nitty, some of the nitty-gritty of how do people think and live and work differently in a world at peace? What's different? And that's kind of the high concept here. You know, what is that world like? And through the medium of story, to be able to climb into those people's heads uh, in that future, you know, very differently organized world, and try it on for a while, see what it's like. A number of readers, even from early days, have told me that it gives them a model, it gives them a reference point for this era that they realized before reading my book was really pie in the sky, very unrealistic, um, and makes it personal, makes it relatable. So that's one of the other big purposes and spiritual, you know, underlying themes that I'm working on uh, through the series is to give a in-depth model for folks that they can actually bring into their home, into their heart, you know, into their uh, personal lives. Of course, back to justice and what does it take to make a just society at the micro and macro levels and how is that world built the details of how does it play out in people's daily lives so i'm speaking with lisa bradley godward author of the abby wise series of novels for young adults she just re-released her first in the series abby wise away and we're talking about the uh, story of abby being thrown into the future where uh, world peace has been achieved and the spiritual transformation she's going through living in this this new paradigm and I just asked Lisa to explain what the underlying spiritual theme she was trying to get across with the book. Now Lisa why do you think it was so important to write this book? Well one of the things that I feel very strongly about is is that when I talk to people about writing this kind of positive book, they very confidently and very frequently challenge me on the lack of conflict that they perceive uh, is, is going to be in this book. And they tell me that the standard 
formula, the, the, the mandatory components of a story are that you have to have uh, a protagonist who runs into an antagonist and there has to be a, a crisis, there has to be conflict, uh, and then there has to be resolution. And I, more and more, I totally disagree. I understand it. I understand very well the the four types of conflicts or five or six or whatever model, you know, you want to look at. I understand the three-act structure. I understand those things, but I believe deeply that we need a new kind of entertainment, a new kind of media. And I'm trying to put out the call and, and the concept that, we need to move past this idea that we have to have conflict for a story to be interesting. If I can divert for a little bit, even in real life, we feel like we have to find the bad guy and we have to duke it out and we have to trounce them or jail them or neutralize them somehow. And all of these applications or these, you know, whether it's in real life or in our stories, I'm beginning as a long time Baha'i to completely disagree with. And I think what I can do is write a new kind of story. The concept of conflict has come down to me duking it out with you uh, or us duking it out, you know, with them. But in the Baha'i concept, uh, especially, it's really more, can we find a common ground and work it out? Because kind of almost everybody loses in the duke it out scenarios. Societally, there are broad solutions that need to be applied. But on a personal level or, or a small group level, there are really better ways to proceed rather than this just entrenched, there has to be conflict, it has to be us versus you. And so one of the challenges I set myself and I'm, I'm constantly working on is how to make this story kind of story interesting without the duking out and the us versus them and how to make it uh, more about exploration and discovery and even dare we say joy and fun and laughing and exploring being creative uh, why couldn't we have more of these kinds of uh, what I'm calling post-conflict uh, media or entertainment so I'm speaking with Lisa Bradley Godward, author of the Abby Wise series of novels for young adults. She just re-released her first in the series, Abby Wise Away. And what's interesting is the story entails Abby being thrown into the future where world peace has already been achieved. So one would ask, well, if there's no conflict in a story, how can the story be interesting? And Lisa is explaining how you truly could have a story that's about joy and transformation and other aspects, and it still be an interesting story. So having Abby thrown into a world that's already achieved world peace begs the question, well, apparently your perspective is that humanity will get there. So what gives you that hopeful perspective that there actually would be a world like that, that Abby would at some point have been thrown into? Well, I'm going to 
hop back and talk about where I got the idea for this book. That's one way to, to approach this answer. I attended a Baha'i summer school in Oklahoma many years ago, and the speaker was Ahong Rabani, and the theme of the summer school was the world order of Baha'u'llah. For anybody who's listening, in Baha'i terminology, world order and new world order mean a world of justice, unity, tolerance, you know, et cetera. The terminology new world order has been hijacked and given sinister definitions, but, but we're talking about the opposite. Mr. Rabani was a Persian Baha'i who, as far as I know, was trilingual, English, Persian, and Arabic. And one of the things that he did was translate the writings of the central figures of the Baha'i faith, such as Baha'u'llah. He had access to writings that not all of them are translated into English uh, yet, to me, it was like going to a science fiction convention, and I had been to a couple of Star Trek conventions prior to that, to that high school, because what he was talking about was this mind-blowing future that Baha'u'llah came to introduce. And I might mention that world peace, as far as I understand, without being a multi-faith religious scholar, but as far as I understand, world peace has been mentioned and, and promised in all of the world's religions. This era is now here. This time is now possible, not only possible, but necessary, because our technology has run away with us. And if we don't figure out how to get along and use collaborative measures to build bridges, we're going to blow ourselves and each other up. So it's becoming more and more imperative all the time that we figure this out. And Baha'u'llah did restate the eternal truths, eternal spiritual truths. Uh, and he also brought the specific social teachings that we need in this day and age, which is what all the other founders of the other religions have done as well. Mr. Rabani was able to give this scope that just blew my mind. And he pegged the time which I used, the time frame which I used, uh, because of his research, I pegged the golden age of world peace at 700 years from now. He gave a couple of other tantalizing details like uh, average life expectancy. Now, I don't know if it's average life expectancy or sort of maximum life expectancy, but whichever one it is, he said 150 years and because I do extensive reading in cutting-edge medicine and technology and, and thinking, uh, I have seen some scientific support for that figure of life expectancy of 150 years. So I put that in my book, too. That's half of it, is the mindset that I had from Mr. Rabani's inspiring talk. And then as I started delving into this world more and more, the scientific aspects supported that. And then back to the religious aspects, as I 
tried to understand more what the writings on world peace were, there are absolute promises given in the Baha'i writings that this is the era for world peace. And there's a well-loved quote from the Universal House of Justice, which is the Baha'i World Council, World Governing Council, that says world peace is not only possible, it's inevitable. So I'm going off of that. There's always free will. Somebody could always hit the red button and blow half the planet up, but I'm going to do whatever I can to uh, advance this concept of world peace. So I'm speaking with Lisa Bradley Godward, author of the Abby Wise series of novels for young adults, and she's just re-released her first in the series, Abby Wise Away, which is the story of a young girl that, in a strange circumstance, finds herself moved into the future in which humanity has reached world peace. And the book uh, explores her challenges, her transformations, and other aspects of her living in the future where there is world peace. And I had asked Lisa, why did she have such a positive perspective that the world would even achieve that state? Lisa, would you like to read an excerpt? Yes. I didn't want to read the same excerpts that I did last time in my interview with you uh, from 2013. And so uh, what I did was I chose something else that I thought people would enjoy listening to. Uh, It's further back in the book. It's from chapter 20. So the setup is we're in a special kind of cafe, sort of like a gaming cafe called the Dragon Dragon, far into the future. Our main character, Abby Wise, 13 years old, steps inside following her 16-year-old mentor, Dolly, spelled D-A-L-I. Here we go. Once inside the Dragon Dragon, Abby's mind snapped, untethered, between Deja Vu and Presca Vu. The strange and the known leapt out at her in turn, defying her to place herself in time and space. While Dolly waved at friends who called to her, Abby tried to anchor herself by naming the familiar and unfamiliar elements, wood and plants, and a homey, clean impression for the third time. A long counter stretched to the left, like the first restaurant Dolly had taken her to just yesterday. If they had been wood instead of an unidentifiable blend, the tables and chairs in the middle of the room could have been those in John and Melissa's coffee shop before. But unlike either of those eateries, on one end of the main room, several machines with control pads, screens, and tall blank wall panels dominated nearby vacant floor space. A large bare room lay beyond the main room, but Abby's eye was caught, held and disoriented by the very lifelike scenic wallpaper running around the top third of the main room. No ordinary wallpaper strip, this was animated. One section depicted large trees bordering a grand sunny meadow dotted with couples and groups of people and animals, meandering, meeting, greeting, dancing, riding, wrestling, playing tug-of-war. Horses cavorted with sheep and goats. There, in the trees, several sinuous Asian dragons, 
wingless yet flying, played a gliding game of hide-and-seek with Valkyries astride soaring cloud horses and medieval knights on mailed chargers. Here, on a low knoll, maidens in kente cloth caftans, embroidered kimonos, flowing gowns or long-fringed buckskin, red to grazing zebras and a pair of lazing winged European dragons as friendly as their Asian cousins. Elsewhere, samurai collected frangipan by a stream, which girls twisted into lays and tossed an animal game with ebon warriors and spirited unicorns. Abby pivoted slowly in place, drawn in and staggered by the new, unexpected ways the many vignettes blended races and cultures. Dolly's name continued to ring out from several directions, and Abby forced herself back to the present, catching up with Dolly at the end of the counter. The growing crowd of young singles impressed Abby with their blended cultures and facial traits, not to mention the wide varieties of color and style in hair, dress, and jewelry. Abby was pleased that she was not the youngest. Several little kids left, older siblings or young parents, to play in the big adjacent room. Dolly, squealed a girl from a nearby table. Dolly immediately helloed back. Abby, this is El Tulia, my closest friend since forever and the girl of honor tonight, Dolly glowed. El, this is Abby. Abby nodded, smiled, and echoed her name with a saluton. I'm very well, thank you. And you? Where are you from? Elle's question was translated through Abby's airy, her earbud-sized translating computer. Dolly came to her rescue, speaking to Elle in New American. Abby's my distant cousin from North Europe. She has an airy to translate our words, but is shy to speak UL, the universal language. Abby thought those were excellent white lies, er, cover stories. Actually, it didn't seem a lie or story at all. Dolly had said everyone was related, however distantly, and Abby's family tree did originate in Europe. Although she'd become a little bolder with today's progress, Abby still withdrew in tonight's crowd and was grateful once again to Dolly. Abby added harmless white lies and cover stories to steering conversations as possible techniques for building the spiritual speech of the advanced youth she wanted to emulate thinking vaguely of new ways to handle her always problematic mother. Ah, okay, said Elle. Well, hungry yet? Just come from work? Uh Uh-huh, Dolly said, linking arms with Elle and getting in line to order. Abby followed, looking in vain for a display board of the choices, hoping for pictures. Do you know what you want yet? Asked a voice behind her. It belonged to a shortish, good-looking, polite young man in loose purple pants and an embroidered yellow zip-up shirt. They studied each other, Abby surveying the intricate tattoos around his ears and eyes, he taking in her unusually light skin. Sparkles drew her eyes to shiny beads dotting his thick, wavy, dark brown hair gathered in a short ponytail. She'd never seen anyone like him, but found him and his adornments attractive. He handed her a menu from a stack on the counter. I'm sorry, but I don't read you well, she said, then panicked. He would not understand her. She looked at Dolly, whose back was turned, engrossed in conversation with Elle. The young man, though, saw that Abby did not even look at the menu, read her face, and asked, Your area is translating? 
Yes, said Abby, heart racing, palms sweating, feeling caught out. Would you allow me to read the menu to you, and you can tell me what you'd like? Yes, um, please, said Abby, heartily wishing she hadn't fallen apart so soon into her UL lesson. This guy seemed to be as good at reading minds as Dolly, though, because he said, You're doing great. The UL word is plotchy, but I understood you just fine anyway. She was very grateful. My name is Crushy. Pleased to meet you, Crushy said expectantly. Crushy? Like Freshy? Cute, like him. Me too. Oh, I'm Abby. What's your last name? For once she spoke up, regardless of the large crowd, but instantly feared she'd been too forward. Crushy looked at her thoughtfully, snapped his fingers, and then hooked his wary, the wrist uter. He pressed a couple of places on its case and deftly wrapped it around his ear. There. I find it takes a lot of concentration to communicate mentally with the uter, and with this noise, my wrist is too far away to hear anyway. This will whisper closer, he said, smiling for the first time. Even his teeth were tattooed. Abby had read about unusual ways to beautify oneself, but to meet such a person took it to a new, vivid level. What did you ask? Crushy lifted his gaze from her small gold-pierced earring hoops. Was piercing weird here? Didn't people do that? She hadn't noticed. I was wondering about your last name, Abby replied, trying to be her most polite and yet eager to know his calling name, the name he'd chosen to represent his spiritual calling. Ah, it's tender, he said. And yours? Abby's face fell. She'd walked right into that one. Dolly had said not to claim that she was wise at only age 13. Now what? Abby, what do you want to order? Dolly was going to have to change her name to whatever the UL was for rescuer. Bless her heart, she rescued Abby thrice a day, every day. Do you want something substantial or light? They have tacos. Would you like that? That's medium heavy, Dolly prattled on, steering the conversation. Sure. Do they have fried rice, too? Abby asked on a whim. Dolly smiled. That's fun. Mix and match cultures through food. The airy translated as L bubbled. Oh, yeah. Are you going to have them season the taco so it goes with the Asian rice or keep the taco Mexican and do the rice like it or leave them both original? If I order Italian and you keep the seasonings traditional, we can have an international feast, Crushy proposed to Abby, taking over Abby's saving duties from Dolly. L peered over Abby's shoulder at the menu she had memorized with other criteria in mind. Ooh, how about a Russian beet soup? The little group stepped up to the counter and ordered through the Dragon Dragon's ally, or tablet computer. Elle and Crushy paid through their uters, while Dolly paid for Abby with several small, colorful bills. Scanners above each cubby of the cash drawer sitting on the counter read the value of the money Dolly put in and also of the coins she took as change. Dolly pointed out the holes in the middle of the coins, enjoying Abby's cry of amazement at seeing a tiny real feather encased in the center. Another coin contained a bit of green. Those are the current kingdom coins, Crushy explained, while the foursome found a spot in which to stand and wait for their food. I'm sorry, I haven't seen them before. Could you please explain? Abby hoped her flimsy story would work, avoiding looking at Crushy, lest he see through the er pretense. Well, you know, the kingdoms of creation, coins with bits from each kingdom. He pulled coins from his pocket and sorted through them for ones that matched Dolly's. 
Yes, here's a Mineral Kingdom coin, the red volcanic soil from Hawaii. They even dye shirts with it. And here's a Vegetable Kingdom. I think this one's got a bit from the world's oldest living thing, the bristlecone pine in California. Then for the animals, this one's a molted feather from the world's smallest bird. Let me see if I can read. Yep, the bee hummingbird of Cuba. For the human kingdom, here's one with a bit of hair from Marta Kerr. She's a teacher of the year. The kingdom of the spirit is always represented by light. This one has a microbulb powered by the warmth of your hand. See? That one's tiny prism makes a rainbow in bright light. Abby enjoyed his easy rambling as much as the beautiful coins. She thought them the coolest thing in numismatics since the time she read in Muse magazine about some islanders using huge stones as money. So I'm speaking with Lisa Bradley Godward, author of the Abby Wise series of novels for young adults. She just re-released her first in the series, Abby Wise Away, and Lisa just read an excerpt from the book. And Lisa, it's amazing. It's, it's almost like you're creating your own world with its own organization and its own set of technology and... it must have been fun to create that sometimes it's fun I I tell you when I hit on a good idea when I'm in the flow in the groove and I'm you know the spirit is flowing through me it's fabulous Um, most of it is exactly like crawling on my belly through the lava up the side of Mount Doom with Frodo and, you know, uh, whoever. It's really difficult because I want it to be believable. I want it to be concise. I want it to be well-written. Thank God I have done well enough that most people uh, spontaneously tell me that it is very believable, it's very detailed, that the detail uh, makes them feel like they're there, which is totally my goal. And they say it's it's well written, that it's complexly woven and rewarding emotionally. Where can people find your book? Basically everywhere books are sold. There are a few avenues, uh, channels as we call them, that are going to take a little while to really get rolling, but it's on Amazon. Uh, It's orderable through local and national bookstores through their catalogs. It's in ebook format as well as paper, both in soft cover and hard cover. And do you have a Facebook page or a website people can go to to learn more? I sure do. And I I love to hear from people, especially through Facebook. Facebook really works for the type of dialogue I like to get into with my readers. So my Facebook page is the name of the book, Abby Wise, A-B-B-Y-W-I-Z-E. I have two, actually. One is the personal page, which is what I just gave to you, and the other is the fan page or business-type page, which is Abby Wise Media. I am on Twitter. Uh, I have a presence there. I'm not on there very much, but if folks are only on Twitter, they can certainly reach out to me under Abby Wise. And my website is www.wise.media, and uh, people can contact me through my website as well. 
So when will we see the next one in the series? Oh, man. <laughs> That's honestly, Warren, that's my least favorite question, because as I mentioned, it's so hard to do these and it takes so long. I have files open and concepts and massive notes collected for, you know, more books in the series. But I'm not going to commit to any dates at all, because actually, this is under God's timeline. And I've just released, you know, re-released the revised edition. And from it then is going to come audiobook, foreign translations, other versions. Uh, what I'm working on right now, which I uh, like to mention is an activity, a modified activity and discussion guide that goes with the revised edition. And I'm really excited about that, the activity and discussion guide, because for folks who read the book and like it, which, by the way, it's not just for, you know, age 12 and the teenage. I actually find that my biggest fans are adults. And I think that's because we've had longer to wish for better solutions and a better way. But when folks read the book and get excited about it, a natural inclination is to want to talk with others about it. And I'm wanting to assist that and help that happen. So I've written an activity and discussion guide that will uh, offer a way to pull together people of uh, any or no faith, you know, ages 12 and up or so into real life or online book clubs and, you know, discussion groups. And this guide is really exciting to me because it's going to help people know if they like to get together and discuss things. Uh, it's going to help them gain some basic research skills. I suggest some things that people can research to dig into some of the ideas and themes behind Abby Wise. Uh, and then the book itself the novel, the source material, is going to help people know if they like the Baha'i faith enough to want to know more about it. I see this as a really fun, good beginning source that uses an engaging story to help us find folks who might like to come with us uh, on, uh, on forward in our, in our religious studies. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing Abby Wise with us this past hour. My sincere pleasure. Thank you, Warren. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lisa Bradley Godward, author of Abby Wise Away. You can find more about this amazing story and other materials related to the story at Lisa's website, wise.media. That's W-I-Z-E dot media. You can hear this interview and other interviews on the website abahaiperspective.com, as well as on the YouTube channel, A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
associate their form in this great human garden even as flowers grow and blend together side by side
If you look towards the stars, you may be looking too far. Right in front of you, Mezali Mahama. And under those stars, in a place called Shiraz, this great one was born. Mirza Ali Muhammad, he was a prophet of God, who was surnamed the Bab. The Bab, which means gate. Mezali Mahama Bob is the way to the promised one and Baha'u'llah is the promised one like all the prophets of God. Many rejected the bar. Said you're a man just like us. Mezali Mama. So they tied down the bar for the fire and squad. Said this man must die. Mezali Muhammad, he was a prophet of God, who was surnamed the Bab, the Bab which means gate. Mezali Muhammad, and the Bab is the way to the promised one. And Baha'u'llah is the promised one. Mezali Muhammad, Mezali Muhammad, Mezali Muhammad. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. Your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.